What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to a bonus episode of Combos Court, and I am Combo. Hope everybody's enjoying the NCAA tournament. Don't forget to drink your body armor and subscribe to Combos Court, man. I know all you guys are listening right now, but not all of you are subscribed, so click that subscribe button. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a friendly comment right on your Apple Podcast app. That would mean the world to me. Enjoy the show, man. Enjoy the show. Let's get into it. What's the word? What's the word? <laughs> man, all was good, bro. All was good. Can't complain to yourself. I'm doing well, man. But welcome to Combos Court, first of all, Jordan. Welcome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Uh, introduce yourself and tell us where you played from college to the pro level. Yeah, my name is Jordan Enriquez Roberts. Um, from Queens, uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, born and raised. Uh, went to Rice High School uh, off the rip. Um, played varsity my sophomore year with Edgar Sosa, Curtis Kelly, Chief Pratt. Bunch of, you know, New York legend guys. Um, then I went on to play at Portchester High School in Portchester, New York. And I played one year at the Winchester School in Massachusetts. Uh, then I went on to play at Kansas State University from 09 to 13. Uh, I played for Frank Martin for three years, and then one year under Bruce Weber. Um, I won a Big 12 championship, my senior year, uh, regular season championship. And I also went on to set a bunch of school records and ended up being the all-time winning a senior class with two of my other guys, Rodney Magruder, who uh, currently plays for the Miami Heat, and then Montavious Urban. Uh, he also plays professionally uh, in Indonesia currently. And uh, I've just been pro this year six for me. You had a chance to play in the D-League. I wanted to know what that what that yeah. decision is like when, when it's, you know, it's either it's between overseas and the D-League. There might be more money overseas, but that D-League, it's like one step closer to the league. Can you speak what, what that thought process is like making that decision? You know, my first year coming out, I had signed with the Houston Rockets uh, contract. Um, pretty much, you know, made a deal with them saying that I would come to the D-League. And, you know, that's what I wanted to experience. I wanted to get back up top to the Houston Rockets uh, because I was an affiliate with them. And I was determined to do that. Um, but it's a grind, you know. Coming right out of college, you don't know, you don't really know what you're getting into. You don't really know the ropes of the D League. You can just always listen to guys that, you know, that played there in the past. Uh, but you know, it's it's not the same, you know, as you experiencing it for the first time. And uh, five, six years ago, the D League it wasn't even as close to what it is now on the platform that it is now. Um, I had a chance to also experience it in between playing overseas from my first year in the D League to my to last season in the D League in the G League, which is now um, with the Westchester Knicks. Uh, it's a complete difference, um, different organizations at the same time, but uh, different platform as well. You know, every game being you know broadcasted, uh, you know, with the G League.com, you got easy to check up on stats. So, you know, it was, it was always a way, you know, for somebody to tune in and lock into what you're doing. But, you know, majority of that time, you know, you kind of focus on yourself. But, you know, me going to the G League uh, for the second time years old, uh, it was a blessing because, you know, a lot of guys that get the G League opportunity are younger guys that are coming out of college or 
they're within their first or second year uh, into, you know, in their pro career. So just being able to get that opportunity and being a part of the Knicks organization was a blessing, you know, especially being home, uh, being from New York. And uh, it was also an opportunity for my family to see me play as a right. professional. Um, you know, uh, my family has always come out to support me in college or, you know, growing playing on a, you know, the summer circuit, whether it's Dykeman, uh, Pro City, you know, all those type of, uh, you know, summer events that go on throughout the summer. But, you know, having, having them see me uh, play as a professional at home was a, was a blessing. Did you feel like, did you feel like you were someone you were overseas, you know, the cultural differences, the food's different, the, the, um, just everything's different, man. Did you feel isolated sometimes? Because I went through some times overseas where I just felt like, I felt real isolated, man. You know, just I went to practice. I would work on my game, and then it was just like YouTube for the rest of the day. You know, it wasn't. It was honestly, it wasn't the happiest mm -hmm. life I could have lived because the basketball part was great, but just the time outside of it. You know, yeah, you could go out at night, but I just felt isolated sometimes. Did you get that feeling as well when you were overseas? Oh, completely. Uh, you know, I was I was in a relationship. You know, my first couple of years as a professional, but you know, my girlfriend at the time. You know, she worked, you know, so she had to, the isolation. I felt lonely a lot of times, even though that caring and loving was there, you know, whether it was from her or my family, it just wasn't the same as, you know, being there alone by yourself. You know, it's just, it's completely different, you know, you know, when it comes to time changes, uh, you know, whether you might be 12 hours ahead or six hours ahead of time, you know, it, it always, you know, you always felt that, that loneliness, right. you know, you always had your teammates or another American or two that might be on the team, but it's you know, like, as it's a like professional, the teammates you know, are like, they have their own life and you're kind of just yeah. there for a little bit, you know? Uh-huh. And, you know, a job is temporarily there, you know, that's how mostly, you know, the contracts are overseas unless you sign on a one plus one deal. Right. But, you know, some of those guys, uh, I know when I was playing in Asia, those guys had regular working jobs and they were coming from work to go to the gym That's and practice, crazy. Yeah. you know, so you couldn't really, there's always that, there's always that, you know, that kind of like thin line between you and the locals because, you know, they can't relate right. to you, right. you know, and then the other Americans on your team, you know, they have a life of their own too, you know, some might have a family right. of their own or, you know, some might be, might be feeling that isolation too. So, uh, that's, that's, I definitely felt isolated throughout my years overseas, uh, and it, it, it was lonely. So, you know, me coming back to the G League played a part of, you know, me feeling at home, embracement, and wanting to be home again because I was so isolated for so right. many years. It, 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 it can't get much better than that than playing in your home country, man, as a professional. That, that's definitely awesome. It's, and it's definitely tough and isolated to play overseas. Not everybody understands that. But I wanted to segue to this, man. You, you, you played for Frank Martin. Recently, there's been some debate about how Tom Tom Izzo handled that situation, and uh, we know Frank is uh, he's a hothead sometimes. So, do you feel like th this tough love could, mm -hmm. in the current climate, could exist anymore? Or it should be kind of over for that. Uh, I think I think that era should be over. You know, it started way back with Bobby right. Knight, right? Um, and then you know, you know Frank's guy was you know Frank was under Bob Huggins for for many years, and you know Frank got that coaching style you know, that, that way from him. And I seen Bob Huggins, you know, he doesn't really coach like that no more. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for them, they're human beings too. So 
you know, they, they've got to simmer down for themselves too because I'm sure that's stress right. and I don't know if it's anger, but I know overall, you know, over time, that's got to be stress. You know, you're putting on yourself and your body because uh, when you do so much of it, when it's every day, you know, and then one, you know, it's one thing to see it on TV and the image that you portray of it, you know, because that's who you are, you know, as a person, you know, as a coach, I should say, not as a person, but as a coach. Right. And it works, you know, with some guys. But I don't think that, you know, in 2019, uh, you know, every kid shouldn't be coached the same way um, or should be yelled at or shouted at. Now, for myself, when I was coming out of college, uh, coming out of high school, I needed that. You know, Frank challenged me as a young man. And, I, you know, some guys can adapt to it. Some guys can adjust to it. And other kids can't take it. You know, so I, I, I was a part of a program where, you know, we came in with five guys and only three of us gra- graduated together, you know. And between those four years, you know, we've seen guys come and go. And some guys, some kids can't take it, you know. So I don't think every kid should be coached that way. But being on a national stage, I think, you know, a guy like Tom Izzo, like in his position, you got to let him coach the way he coaches. And you can't really make – you can't critique his coaching style because the success he's had over the years, you know, some nobody should really even question that. But at the same time, you know, he is on a national platform, so people are going to question him. Yeah, so to speak to that, you know, you guys danced every year. So Frank must have been doing something right, and you must have been doing something right. But um, what what was the biggest thing you learned from yeah. Frank that you could take even off the court? Uh, I just learned, uh, you know, just as a man, you know, res- uh, accept responsibility in life. Uh, you know, you're always going to have your ups and downs. You're always going to go through your trials and tribulations. But as a man, you you stay strong and you fight hard and and you mentally prepare yourself for the worst because, you know, tomorrow isn't promised. And Frank was a hard-nosed guy. Uh, you know, nothing was sweet for him. You know, he grinded to where he to where he is now. And I will always respect that about Frank because, um, you know, it wasn't like, you know, coaching was handed to him, you know. He really worked to where he is now. And he taught, he taught us a lot of lessons in life, man, and, and that was just a few of them. Um, and, you know, the guys that, you know, he coached, you know, a lot of us, you know, we keep in touch with him. Um, you know, even though he's not at the alma mater we, we played for him at, we always show love to South Carolina because, you know, with them young guys, you know, might be going through playing for him as a coach. So, you know, whether he's simmered down or not, which I feel like he has because I've gone to some of those practices uh, when they will come to the garden or the bar would always come and check them out um, when I, when I played pro, but uh, you know, Frank, Frank knows what he's doing and uh, you know, the building up kids and breaking them down. I think it's gotta, you gotta do it to some kids and some kids you gotta shy away from. That's the master of coaching. You know, some guys are really good at doing it, but uh, you know, I think a lot of coaches uh, that don't portray that image on television, they might do it in practice. So, it's all about your coaching style and how each kid should be taught. Because as a young as a young adult, you you never you don't really know a kid's background unless you, you research that, you know, or you break that kid down and you figure out what he's going through. But you know, I seen I seen a McDonald's All American kid man uh, come in with me, and you know he didn't he came from nothing, you know, and he worked to where he was, and you know he ended up leaving after two years, and. Uh, 
you know, he's one of my good friends while we judge. Uh, he's a McDonald's All-American um, coming in with the class, I think, with like Avery Bradley and John Wall. He came in with all those guys, and he had high expectations. But, uh, you know, playing for Frank was mentally challenging for him. And then, you know, him coming to Kansas State, you know, following behind Michael Beasley and the success Michael Beasley had while the judge was a D.C. assault kid. So, you know, Michael Beasley was like his big brother to him. So for him to see the success Michael Beasley had, you know, he he felt like that was going to happen too, but it didn't. And, uh, you know, I felt bad because, you know, a kid like him that worked so hard to get to where he was, you know, to have a change that for him to transfer and go through the things he had to go through, it was sad to see uh, because right. he should be an NBA right yeah. now. And speaking of that, man, you know, throughout my career, I've kind of seen three types of players at the pro level. You know, there's those guys that are professionals. You know, they do what they got to do. They get in the gym and they leave. Then there's those guys that that don't do enough. You know, that's like the second type of guy. They just don't do enough. And then the third type of guy is the kind of guy that's obsessed, like always in the gym, almost sometimes even to a fault where he's overtraining. What type of player? What type of player are you? Yeah. And have you seen that same thing? Is that fair to say? Yeah, you know, I've seen, I've seen all three kind of guys, uh, you know, like myself as a professional, you know, they get up and do their job every day. And then I've seen guys that, you know, that work hard to where they, to, you know, to get that big contract. Right. And then they right, relax. Right. And that's, and that's, that's the sad part to see because, you know, now, now you get to, you know, question like, okay, do you really love this game, you know? And then uh, for the third type of guy, uh, my best friend, Rodney Magruder, he's a gym rat, man. He, like, you got to force him to get out of the gym. Right, right. You know, and, and he's worked he worked to where he is now because he was a gym rat. You know, and that started back, you know, that could have started back from high school when he played for D.C. Assault. I didn't know him then, but, you know, my four years, uh, you know, uh, being with him in college and living with him, you know, I was, I was the guy, you know, I went to practice. I dealt with Frank. Right, right. <laughs> you know, whether I wanted to get some shots up after practice or I just wanted to get out of there, I knew I had got my work in. But at the end of the day, I knew Rodney. Rodney would always knock on my door. We lived together. Rodney would knock on my door. Hey, I'm about to go to the gym. What's up? Right. And I might be like, man, I'm just mentally drained, bro. I'm good. <laughs> it's, almost, Rod- it's also good to have a mm-hmm. like that once in a while, right? No, nah, it sure is. And, and those type of guys that, that fuel you, that motivates you to push push yourself, you know, to the next level. And, uh, you know, he was always my motivation, man, because I knew when he came out of college, you know, us coming out together in 13, he went overseas first. You know, he played, uh, he played with Oklahoma City Thunder throughout preseason, and they cut him. And he used that to motivate him, to fuel him. And once he played over in Hungary and uh, in Austria, he came black, came back, and then played in the G League for two years. His second year, he came back and won uh, the G League championship with uh, Sioux Falls, right. and uh, that was with Briante Weber, DeAndre Liggins. A lot of those guys got called up and, and, and signed with teams the following year. And, and Rob found his niche. He found a home in Miami, and now he's he's doing his thing there. And uh, I just came back from DC to watch him uh, play. Unfortunately, he didn't play. Uh, because he's dealing with a little nagging injury, but uh, just getting back out there, you know, he's from D.C., so I had a chance to spend a lot of time with his family in that short amount of time I was there. But uh, just being there, you know, just being around my brother, man, I love it because just being around his energy, uh, you know, it fuels me to, to do better every day, not just as a professional, but as a man. Uh, 
So that's my brother for real. Right? I wanted to segue to this, man. I, I had the chance to watch um, John Moran play yesterday, and I'm slowly starting to believe that mm-hmm. he's going to be the best player in this draft, man. What are your thoughts on that? Where would you select him? Where would Who would you select if you had the number one pick? I think I would take Zion just because of his upside. Yeah. I think with him being 6'7", and 275, 280, whatever he is, uh, the potential is, like, skyrocketing. But I, th- I also think uh, it depends on what organization it is and what do we need uh, as well. I think if I'm the Phoenix Suns, I got to take Zion because Devin Book is basically running the one. Uh, but then again, you know, you can put Devin Booker back at the two and drive John Moran. You can't go wrong there either. Right. Uh, I don't know about I don't know about RJ Barrett going number one. Um I just seen a guy, you know, put thirty on his head. I think RJ is very right. talented. I think his upside, I think he's gonna be a great player as well. I think Cam Reddish is the most right. talented, you know, most ready guy on that team. Uh when it comes to him transferring over to his NBA game, I think he's gonna have the easiest coast. Right over because he can shoot the ball really well. For him to shoot that NBA three and to be athletic and to put the ball on the floor the way he can, uh, he's not as athletic as Zion and RJ, but he's athletic enough to the point where he, his game is right, smooth. Right, you know. So for him to score is like second nature, and if he's putting the right system in the right offense, it, it shouldn't be that hard for him. But uh, I would go with Zion at number one because just because of his upside. Uh, he's a freak. You don't see a kid like that. You know, the last person we've seen like that coming into the draft was LeBron James when he was 6'9". And him being at 6'7", he'll be a tweener right, right. at first. So uh, I think he'll find his niche and he'll be successful. But um, he'll definitely average 18 to 20 points just depending on the right system he goes to, the right organization. I, don't, I can't see him putting up 18 to 20 points in Phoenix. Because you got DeAndre Ayton and you got Devin Book on that. So right. Those are your one, two right. guys. So, uh, it, and it, then it depends on who gets that number one pick. You know, everybody's hoping it's the Knicks. All the New York people are hoping it's you the Knicks. You think it'll Knicks, be the Knicks? Uh, I don't think it's going to be. Nah. <laughs> Knicks has never gotten the number one pick. So, why would it start now? Right. Right. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a wild yeah. turn in this conversation, man. I know you listen to music. So, so I'm going to mm-hmm. totally switch the subject yeah. here. Um, Takashi 69, man, it's documented. He, he's an informant, you know. Do you think in this current climate, while, while it, it seems inconceivable, do you think he can still have a successful music career when he gets out? I think he can. Because if this was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, he wouldn't have a chance. He wouldn't have a chance at all. And, uh, you know, with the social media uh, on the platform that it is now and the kids, you know, that are way under us, that's 10, 15 years younger than right. us, they don't get it. And all it's pretty take- understandable the situation. Like you just told, you just told mm-hmm. on everybody, and everybody got in trouble. And you're getting out. It, it, it's like there's nothing good about it. Yeah. I feel like even a young person should understand that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. And uh, I, I don't. I don't think you know kids are gonna let it register. I don't think kids are gonna yeah, care. Okay. I should say. I think they'll understand. They'll understand what he did, but they may not care because now it comes down to streaming, and you just pushing the button. And there goes his success right there. It's not like, you know, where back in the day with us growing up, we had to come in and we had to go in the store right, and buy the CD. Man. Best Buy. <laughs> you know, you can't do that anymore. Now it's just you got to push a button. And, you know, kids that just listen, you know, they, they don't even got to be fans anymore. You just press play 
because you're going to hear what he got to say because he's always talking junk. Right. He's going to have his success there, and uh, he may not get the features as he as he. And he might. To. I mean, it'll be you tough know, for him to do like live shows, right, in New York and and different and like mm-hmm. move around in L.A. I, it, it might have to be different. I, he might have to tour in Europe and just do the streaming thing. Yeah, and he'll have his success there. Uh, but you know, it's over, man. You know what he did. Uh, can't do that, man. And it can't be undone either. Right, so. exactly. But uh, I, I get the situation he was put in. Um, if, I, if I was in his shoes, you know, that's hard. That's a hard one to call, man. That's a tough pill to swallow because the success you have in a short amount of time and whatever they did to him, for him to lead up to, for him to snitch on them. That's a tough decision, man, on his, on himself, and uh, he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. But I don't think I'm snitching. But uh, that's tough, man. He 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 did he he did something, said something that can't be undone, man. That's that's tough, especially being from right. New York. You know, ain't nobody gonna claim you no more, bro. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, Jordan, man, uh, <laughs> thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it, and it was a great conversation. You know, we we worked out a few times, and it was always fun hooping with you, man. Oh yeah, you know. Great times, man, in the gym in Riverside Church. <laughs> yes, sir. Hard work, boys, man. Shout out to my man Skip. Uh, it's cool with you. I could I could shout out my like my Instagram. Of course, and stuff. man. Go ahead. Shout out to Skip. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah Skip. Where can we find you on Instagram Bam. and everywhere else? Yeah, uh, Jordan twenty one eighty nine uh, is my uh, Instagram name. Um, my Twitter name is too tall to know so T O O number two K N O S O one. That's a long description, but uh, it should be easy to search my name in the, in the right. login bar. And uh, Facebook, Jordan Henriquez. Uh, but Combo, man, I appreciate you having me. Hopefully we can speak again. I enjoy listening to your podcast. Uh, you know your stuff, man. And uh, I hope you continue with your success and everything. Thanks, uh, Jordan. Brother. Appreciate you. And you're always welcome back. Just hit me up whenever you want to get on the show. There it is, a bonus episode of Combos Court. Big shouts to Jordan for joining in. It would mean the world to me if you rate, review, subscribe, write on your Apple Podcast app. Shout out to Spotify as well. Be on the lookout for episode 51. Combo out.